Well, hey everyone, welcome to our second in our series on joy. Uh, and let's pray as we come to God's word together. Lord God, we thank you for the great message that we have joy in Jesus. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word today, you'll help us to know how we can experience this joy through whatever we're going through, hard times or good times, what may come. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what brings real joy? What robs you of joy? Uh, welcome to this second half of our mini-series on joy. And last week, Wayne helped us look at this objective foundation of our joy in Jesus, how it's founded on what God has done for us in the past, in looking back and looking forward to what God will do in the future those promises in Jesus. And today I ask the question, well, how do we experience this joy in our everyday life? On Monday, just past, ABC Australia uh, reported that there's been a sharp increase in the use of antidepressant drugs this year compared to last year. Dr. Michael Clements said that it's the stress of the pandemic that is the main factor. He says the financial stress, the homeschooling, the worrying about whether you had a job or as a business owner, whether you could pay your staff. There's an awful lot of reason to be stressed at the moment. We've all lost closeness. We've lost warmth. We've lost spontaneity and friendship. We're more isolated and many of us are more stretched as well. And our normal everyday lives have become injected with this new base level of risk and concern that wasn't there before. You know, even apart from COVID, life is hard. At the best of times, life involves unexpected challenges, griefs, disappointments, hurts and failures. How do we have joy through all of these kind of experiences that are part and parcel of life in our broken world? Well, most of us probably won't need prescribed medication and doctors will be rightly cautious about going down that path. We all feel the pandemic pressure, the COVID fatigue. I want to say at the outset of this talk that if you're suffering from ongoing anxiety or depression or other issues like that, please do reach out and seek help. A good GP, counsellor or psychologist working from a Christian worldview can be especially helpful. But this talk is a general talk for everyone and so I hope that no matter where you're at, this talk is going to be helpful for you. We need to rediscover joy. We need to rediscover joy and I think this was something that was on my heart before COVID, seeing how uh, harried and pressured life can be. Um, and um, even more so now with what we've been going through in Australia um, and uh, in Sydney. Um, but I guess around the world, things are much worse than we have it here. So what we're feeling is maybe small compared to what some people are going through. How do we experience joy in troubled times? Philippians 4 gives us an answer. We experience joy in troubled times 
by actively celebrating the joy of God. We experience joy in troubled times by actively celebrating the joy of God. Read with me in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. It's a call to celebrate, to take that joy of God and celebrate it. How do we do this, though? You can say, that's still a bit vague. Well, thankfully, it breaks it down into three ways that we can celebrate this joy of God and bring it into our everyday experience. Firstly, we celebrate the joy of God by being close to God. Check it out there in verse 5. It says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Those are beautiful words. I want you to imagine. Imagine uh, two lovers looking into each other's eyes, gazing into each other's eyes, and they feel that love and connection. They are right there with each other, so close. They're going to have that joy. Or imagine uh, a baby looking into their mother's eyes, feeling that closeness, that love, that everything's all right. It's like that with God. When we are close to God, we experience the joy of God. It's interesting here too that it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. This is talking about a humility, a reasonableness, a quietness. There's no pride here. There's no ego. There's a stillness that joy can come in. When all of our other concerns and even our own ego are put aside and rendered nothing in comparison to just that joy of being close to God, the Lord is near. Comparison and comparing ourselves to others, sizing ourselves up, um, trying to, uh, I guess, Think about, well, am I better? Am I worse? Uh, those kind of things are huge joy stealers, robbers of joy. But that all fades away when we just come and focus in on the reality of God and how amazing God is. Knowing God and realizing God's closeness puts everything in perspective. In the 1600s in Paris, in a kitchen, something remarkable happened. And it wasn't MasterChef, and it wasn't a rat cooking uh, ratatouille. It was a kitchen hand named Lawrence, who the cardinal, the, one of the spiritual elites at the time, sought out this lowly kitchen hand for spiritual advice. Uh, since then, uh, Lawrence's... Uh, Notes, conversations from him have been published under a title of Practicing the Presence of God. 400 years ago, and we're still reading his words today, the words of this kitchen hand. What was so significant about this? Everyone around Lawrence 
had noticed this joy that he had, whatever he was doing, and they asked him the secret of his joy. They said it was a palpable joy. They could feel it. Everyone just being around him felt encouraged. And what he talked about was that he could be as full of joy, peeling the potatoes, getting yelled at by an angry chef, whatever he was doing in this. It wasn't like Master Chef either. It wasn't some like a fancy uh, restaurant he was cooking in. He, you know, he was just doing this very humble job. He said, I can have as much joy in this circumstance as I could on some great spiritual retreat. Just because I know who I am, why I'm doing this, just because I have this relationship with God. So it's really beautiful if you hear him talk about it. He recounts just this, uh, if, I'm, if, I, uh, if I'm doing well, I thank God for it. If I make a mistake, I apologize to God for it and this relationship with God that he has. If you know God and you know God has loved us so much in Jesus, God's amazing grace to us in Jesus, then you have this true joy and you can experience it now no matter what. One of, one of my daughter's names is Meredy. Meredy means joy. Her second name is Anna and Anna means grace. And so the story of Meredy's name is joy at God's grace. That's why we named her that because when you experience God's grace, you have joy. If you know the good news of Jesus, you know that God has adopted you as his own child, that God is always with you through everything, and you can trust him no matter what. God has you here and now in this place, in this time, for his good purposes. God has numbered every hair on your head. God knows when each one falls. God will never leave you or forsake you. God cares for you. And even when we face death, we know that in Jesus, it's just a doorway to eternal joy and peace with God. What a cause for joy now. And we experience this by learning to live in the reality of who God is. Remembering that reality through our life. How do we do this practically? Well, uh, like Brother Lawrence experienced, like Paul experienced, who was, I guess, the ultimate example after following after Christ of experiencing joy through hardship. Um, we do this through prayer. Paul goes on to explain this in verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety, worry, fear, other joy killers, right? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? Prayer is an amazing thing and it works because God is real 
and because God does two things as we pray. God changes things as we pray. God changes circumstances. I believe in miracles. And there's too many times when you see, if you start praying, you see God answering prayer. There's too many times for this to be coincidence for billions of people around the world to believe in this and to see God working in this way, that God changes things when we pray. And God says in his word that he'll do that, that God answers our prayer. It doesn't mean he'll answer every prayer, everything the way we want it to, but God does change things as we pray. God works. Secondly, God changes us as we pray. God changes us. As we pray, God works in our heart. God works in our mind. God brings his comfort. God brings his assurance. God transforms us as we are committing ourselves to him in prayer, talking to him in prayer. And that's that relationship with God, isn't it? So, you know, the ultimate miracle of, of um, uh, prayer is when we pray, pray perhaps for the first time and we are born again, someone being brought from death to life, from being uh, bondage to freedom, just as God can work to save us, God can work to bring us his peace. And you know, coming close to God, that's where it starts with that first prayer. And if you've never prayed that prayer, then you might like to pray that prayer. Something like, um, something like this. Lord God, I recognize that you are God, that you made me, that, uh, that you care for me, that you love me. And I recognize, Lord, that I have strayed away from you. But thank you for reaching out to me in Jesus. Thank you that I can know you and the real purpose and peace and joy that you give. From this moment on, Lord, Help me to live for you. Amen. That kind of a prayer, if you've never prayed it, is a step towards knowing God, reaching out to God who reaches out to us in Jesus and accepting the gift, the grace, the free gift of life and joy and hope that he gives. And God invites us into a life of continually walking with him through prayer, to live every moment with him, remembering that he is with us, uh, maybe pouring out our heart to him in grief and anger, bringing to God our silent screams of pain and brokenness, acknowledging our shame and our failings, asking God for forgiveness, for freedom, for peace, for healing. Prayer might be pouring out our thankfulness and gratitude for God's goodness and gifts and the good news of Jesus, bringing to God the needs of the world, our leaders, our family, our friends, asking for God's blessing and help in our work, in our uh, family, in our relationships, or just being with God and knowing his love and thanking him for that. Prayer is for every situation and prayer is the key at the moment of being saved by God and prayer is the key for walking with God through, through life. 
So that's point one. We celebrate God's joy through being close to God, being close to God. And we do this through a life of prayer. Secondly, we celebrate God's joy in everyday life by pursuing the good. We celebrate God's joy by pursuing the good. What do I mean by this? Well, check out verses 8 and 9 here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So firstly, uh, we're told, pursue thinking about these things that are good. And in verse 9, he continues, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So not only think about these things that are good, whatever, whatever is due, put it into practice. Whatever is good, do it. Whatever is good, do it. So we're called to pursue the good in our thoughts, in, our, in, a, in the life of our mind, our imagination, our, our, our vision uh, for the future, our, our memories. We're called to think about concentrate our minds on what is good and then we're called to put the good into practice especially paul says the things we've seen him doing and modeling the good that we've learnt and been trained in and taught by um, by those who teach us encourage us in christ you know we often think of god as a cosmic killjoy because our western culture has this narrative of um of religion being boring, religion being oppressive, and rebellion being fun. That's kind of the Western narrative, isn't it? But that couldn't be further from the truth. The devil is the killjoy. The devil always wants to paint God as the killjoy and paint God's people as the killjoys. But the devil is the one who is the one who will rob us of joy. But that's been the devil's strategy from the very beginning. You know, back in the garden, the serpent convinced Adam and Eve that when God said, don't eat from that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God was being the killjoy, that that fruit was what they really wanted, that that would make them like God. So you can see that that's been the devil's strategy from the very beginning. And Eve makes the mistake of overplaying God's commands and kind of ramping them up. No, we mustn't, God, you know, God said we mustn't um, even uh, touch the, the fruit of the tree. And so she thought she was putting up helpful laws around, around God's laws, but she's actually um, making them more strict, making God seem more severe. And she's buying in to the devil's lie that God doesn't want the best for them. You know, the, the tragedy is not only that this plunged the world into a, a history of being sin, death, evil, suffering, entering the world, but that we continue to believe these lies about God today. And we think of God 
as the cosmic killjoy. God is not a killjoy. God is the source of all joy. And it's in living God's way that we find true joy. The things God says really are good. And the things that God says are good, <laughs> the things God says are good really are good. And the things God says are bad really are bad. So we find joy to the extent that we are focused on the good, that we choose the good and pursue the good. You know, I think of it kind of like this. You know, when, when you're a kid, I don't know if you had this experience, but when you're a kid and you just want like the lollies, you want the sugar, you want all the junk food, and you think, oh, my parents, they're such killjoys. Why don't they want me to have all the sugar, the lollies, the junk food? Why don't they want me to have it? And then when you grow up, you might kind of get to a point where you can go, oh, I can have all the junk food I want. And you can maybe binge on junk food, binge on sugar hit. And then you go, man, actually, I don't feel good. That, that wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I actually feel seedy. I feel gross. And you understand, mm, there's a reason why my parents were saying, don't go the junk food. Imagine if you've got a choice of junk food or this perfectly cooked meal, delicious, so satisfying. You would be a fool to go back to the junk food, right? You want that delicious food because the healthy food is not only better for you, but it will make you feel a lot better. So we've seen, firstly, we celebrate God's joy by being close to God. Secondly, we celebrate God's joy by pursuing the good, learning to pursue the good and trusting God on that. Thirdly, we celebrate God's joy by celebrating the gifts that God gives. Celebrating the gifts that God gives. Check out verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. He goes on to describe how he's learned the, the secret to being content in all circumstances, to having joy no matter what's happening. Um, but this contentment is not some detached resignation, like I'm above all these things and I've taught myself not to care about them. No, Paul makes a point of rejoicing celebrating the good news of the gifts of God. And here what he says is he's so happy at the Philippians um, and their gift for him because it shows God's work in their life and their, um, how God has been transforming them. It's the good news of God's eternal work at work in them. It's because it's a sign of God's spirit. It's because of God's spirit. And this gives him great joy to see God's gift at work, to see God's spirit at work. And God is at work among us. Do we acknowledge that? Do we celebrate that enough? Do you appreciate what God's doing? Do we appreciate what God's been giving us? You know, I think... Despite the good news that we see uh, and the good work that we see God is doing, often we're prone to feeling maybe a sense of grief or a sense of mere duty. God's Word calls us not 
to stop at feeling grief, feeling mere duty, but to go on to celebrate and rediscover joy. You know, I think sometimes we tell us, we tell ourselves, the truth came to set us free, like Jesus says, the truth will set you free. But we say, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. That's kind of what we believe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, okay, it will set us free, but first it will make us miserable. We think that living God's way will be a pain, that it will be miserable. But that's not the truth at all. That's a lie that the devil would tell us. You know, I think about it like this. Um, Imagine someone has gone to the great expense to shout you out to a meal at a restaurant. A restaurant so good you wouldn't normally buy it for yourself. It's so amazing, this expensive, these perfectly crafted dishes, this is exquisite food served up before you. But you, no, no, I'm not eating any of it. You refuse to eat. You say, no, no, I couldn't possibly, I don't deserve it. That would be worse than, you know, just... Uh, having it, right? It would be a terrible insult to your generous host who shouted you this. But we do that to God all the time. God serves up this abundant feast of joy. And we go, no, 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 I've, I've just, I've just got to do the hard work here. God serves up this abundant feast of extravagant happiness and blessing and, and peace and all of the, the wonderful things that God gives. And we go, oh, no, no, no. I've, I've, and, we, and we whip ourselves. We've, we get stuck in guilt. We put ourselves down. We get negative and critical. And we're invited to the feast. But we say, no, God, I couldn't possibly we wallow in sadness. It's an insult to God. You know, studies have found that by uh, smiling, you actually become happier. That's weird, right? You would think, huh, wait a minute, I thought you could get happy and then you smile. But apparently it works the other way around. People who smile become happier. Something about just smiling will start to make you happy. And sometimes it's like that with joy. Here in God's Word, we're told rejoice. And maybe the reason for that is that we actually have to start rejoicing to realize the joy. Rejoicing will make us more joyful. We talk about the sacrifice of praise. The Bible says bring a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we don't feel like being joyful. But sometimes we just got to take that step and go, I am going to celebrate this. I am going to be joyful at this. And that will change us and actually help us to experience this joy that maybe before that we didn't even realize. Sometimes we're not feeling it. But feelings aren't the thing that we need to trust in. You know, if we put these things, you might have seen this diagram, that there's a, a, an engine for a train. If you put these things on, on a diagram of a train, there's an engine of a train. 
and the engine is faith. And then there's the, this is a steam train, it's burning coal, and the, the coal car of the train that's fueling the engine is the facts, right? So our faith in God is fueled by the facts, the objective truths. And where are the feelings? They're the carriages coming behind the train. If you start putting the carriages before the engine, you're going to have problems, right? Because the carriages have got nothing. They just come along after. And it's like that with our faith, the facts and the feelings. Our faith is fueled by the facts, the reality, the objective reality of who God is and what God has done. And the feelings come after. So we start rejoice, appreciate the joy of the facts, move forward in faith, and the feelings will follow. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bestow on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Let's celebrate what God has done for us in Jesus. Let's rejoice greatly for our church family. Let's celebrate every good and perfect gift that comes from God, the extravagant, abundant, overflowing goodness of God. Let's celebrate the joy God gives by being close to God, by pursuing the good, and by celebrating God's gifts.